Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Take your Bible this morning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. First Corinthians chapter 12, and um, let me get my helpers up here. You guys come up here real quick, all right? <clears throat> First Corinthians 12, we've been going through a, a series and uh, studying out uh, the book of First Corinthians. We'll jump into it in just a minute. But I just want to say this today. I've got a couple, some drills up here. Got some, I've got some real drills as well as uh, a toy drill, okay? Now, if you came in this morning... And, and we were to look at, at this scene and see these real tools and the toy tool, uh, you, would not, you, you wouldn't be surprised. You wouldn't be surprised to see something like this. You wouldn't be surprised to see this, would you? Wouldn't be surprised to see people playing with it. You probably, you probably wouldn't be surprised if you came in and saw kids playing. That wouldn't, that wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't think anything twice about it. You wouldn't even be surprised if they, uh, if they started to, um, you know what kids do with toys. They kind of, well, they do break them, yes, but uh, you wouldn't be surprised if they kind of argued over it, would you? You wouldn't be surprised if, this is Micah and this is Tommy. If Tommy really wanted a turn, you wouldn't be surprised to see him say, my turn. My turn. You wouldn't be surprised if Micah said. No. <laughs> and then he said, my turn. My turn. No. Say it again. My turn. No. Say it again. My turn. No. Say it again. No. Really, listen, think about it. Would you be surprised to see that? No, you wouldn't be surprised to see it. You might be a little surprised to see this. My turn. My turn. My turn. Mine. Mine. You'd be a little surprised to see that, wouldn't you? I mean, if you walked in this morning and I was up here arguing with two kids about a toy, honestly, you'd be a little surprised. All right, you'd probably, you'd probably be, some of you wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, thanks a lot, Dale. You, you'd be surprised to see that, but you probably, you wouldn't be surprised to see two kids playing with some toys and to see a, an adult playing with tools. You, you, that wouldn't surprise you. If you came in today and, I mean, maybe it would surprise you why his pastor have power tools on the platform, what's he working on, but you wouldn't be surprised. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we are. Thanks, guys. Give them a hand. Didn't they do a good job? <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, is where we're going to be this morning. And the fact of the matter that, that I want to get across today as we look at this is that you would, you would, expect, you would expect to see a child playing with a toy tool set. You would expect to see that. You would, you would expect to see them sitting down, playing, maybe even arguing over it, but you would not expect 
to see an adult playing with children's toys. You see, the fact is, while it may be funny, it may be funny to watch an adult act selfishly while playing with children's toys. It would be funny. It's funny, but it's probably not normal. I promised Robert that I would not throw him under the bus if I showed this picture. So Rob, I did not. Craig did, but I did not. (laughs) The truth is this, in all honesty, think about it. If if we genuinely, this was a few years ago, we were helping Quinn and Don move and Rob had this and we dared him to get into it. Little did he know that I was videoing the whole whole thing. if, uh, if we really went out into Don and Quinn's garage that day, and many of you remember them, we saw maybe little Vance, their son. If we saw Rob in the car running around and Vance going, give me a turn, give me a turn, give me a turn. And Rob going, no, get away from me, kid. <laughs> While it's funny, it's not normal. As we come back to our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to find Paul addressing this. We're going to find Paul speaking about spiritual giftedness. He writes to the, uh, to the early believers there in Corinth about their misuse of the spiritual gifts that God had given them. Because when it came to their spiritual gifts, This is key today. When it came to their spiritual gifts, and we'll understand what those are, the believers at Corinth were were living more like children with toys than Christians with tools. When you come to the passage, they were acting more like children selfishly saying, mine, for me, it's all about me, rather than realizing that a spiritual gift is something given to us by God to use for his purposes. If you've been with us in our study, then you're going to remember that Paul, he's writing to these believers. The church that he started there in Corinth, of course, uh, he started it a a few years before the letter would be written. Paul, who was once that great persecutor of the church, then became the great preacher of the gospel, starting churches, and and of course, trusted Christ as Savior, and then went on that evangelistic trail, starting churches and establishing pastors and helping people come to know Christ. And God would use Paul in a a very effective way, in a very efficient way in uh, in the early days. As a matter of fact, I, I would venture to say this, that many of us, many of us probably got saved because of the influence of Paul. If you were led to the Lord from any of the epistles, from Romans or 1 Corinthians, or if you were shown a principle out of the book of Ephesians, that's from the influence of Paul. So even still to this day, his influence trickles down into into a modern day and into our culture and into our church. But he had a, a great impact on these believers back then. A great impact on the lost. And he started this church and God would use him to live there for 18 months. He would leave. And we've, we've known this, but uh, he got word, received words that the church was uh, uh, in a trial. That they were being challenged. The church was, was going through some difficulties. Is that me or is that you? That's you? Well, good night, Dustin. <clears throat> um, 
just kidding. It was Tony. Uh, Tony Tony's pulling pranks back there on Dustin. Um, we know that Paul, he hears that the church of Corinth, they're going through, they're going through some struggles. And they're going through it. And, uh, and they're going through some things where they're excusing sin. They're going through some, some things where there's, there's uh, the, the divisiveness and the infighting. And so Paul, he receives word. And he writes to them, those first six chapters, correcting them. Like, hey, you guys, you guys are, are, you're a mess. And you need to get some things straightened out. You need to realize that you're saved for a higher purpose than just to argue and to be a tit for tat on all of these little things. Hey, you need to step up. You need to realize that there is more to the Christian life than what you are using your life for. And then he would use chapter seven all the way through chapters, uh, chapter 15, really chapter 16 to answer questions. We saw him answer questions about marriage and about widowhood and about singleness. We saw him answer questions about the gray areas of life and meat offered to idols or meat not offered to idols. And if you should partake of that, we saw him answer questions about um, wearing a hat in the church or not or wearing a, a covering in church and, and prayer and all of those different things. And then we saw him last, last week answer a question about the Lord's table. Remember the church at Corinth, they thought they were doing a really good job doing their agape feast. And he writes to him and says, man, you guys have got it all wrong. No, you've got it all wrong. The Lord's table is completely about the Lord, yet you've made it all about you. When you come to chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul is now going to answer questions about spiritual gifts. Now, I recognize some here, you hear those terms, you immediately go, okay, I know what that is. I know what spiritual gifts are. Others here, you're going, what is a spiritual gift? We're going to talk about that this morning, but What I want us to see and receive a challenge from Paul is the fact that our spiritual gifts, listen, every believer is gifted. If you know Christ as your savior, he has put in you a spiritual gift. Now you may not know that what that is. Hopefully by the end of these three chapters, we're not preaching all three today, just calm down. by the end of these three chapters, you'll maybe maybe have some inclination as to what your spiritual gift might be. But every single believer has been gifted. And Paul writes to them about the fact that, hey, Church of Corinth, you've been gifted. But what you're doing is you are like a child with a toy. You're using your gift selfishly. You're using your gift for self-promotion. You're using your gift to point to your godliness. But I wanna help you understand, Paul writing the Church of Corinth, I wanna help you believers of Corinth understand that your gift is not a toy, it's a tool. It's not a toy to be played with. It's a tool that has purpose. We're gonna see that this morning. So take your Bible if you would. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and let's stand together. We're just gonna read five or six verses to get started today in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Micah, could you bring me my water on that front row right there? First Corinthians chapter 12. And let's just, we're going to jump around a little bit. Let's go to verse number one. Verse number one, Paul sets the stage of the purpose. Why am I writing to you? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. What's he saying? He's simply saying, hey, there's, there's some things I want you to know. Hey, regarding spiritual gifts, you just need to know a few things. Now, we're going to see the whole chapter, but let's just jump through it. Go to verse number seven. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The spiritual gifts are given so that everybody profits. Skip down to verse number 18. And I got the wrong verse. The verses on the screen is wrong, but verse 18 says this, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased 
him. So God put you in the local church with a spiritual gift for a purpose. Go to verse 25. One of the reasons is that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. As we come to this passage today, Paul writes to them and he's like, hey, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. I want you to understand what they are. I want you to understand how they are at work in your life, how God uses them in your life. But really, I want you to understand the ultimate purpose of spiritual gifts. And so this morning, I want us to kind of look in to 1 Corinthians 12, listen in, if you will, in the conversation. And I think today we too can learn. I've I've learned some this week. I've learned a lot this week as I studied this. And I think we too can learn about spiritual gifts so that we're not a child playing with a toy, but a Christian using a tool. Would you pray with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I would ask you just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? God, would you please speak to me? And then would you just commit to the Lord that if he speaks to you, that you're listening to him. God, I'm gonna listen to you today. Dear Lord, I just come before you and thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it. Thank you, God, for um, the opportunity that we have to uh, get into the word and to listen today and to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that you would help us uh, to, to be in tune with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would help me as I speak today. Father, that you'd give me the right words, the direction, that you'd help uh, the message to be clear. And Father, that you would help each one of us to receive, help us to respond, help us to listen, help us, Lord, to allow you to use your word uh, to minister and to speak into our lives today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, I really just want us, we're going we're to get four, four main thoughts today. The first one that I want us to understand that Paul writes to them is the fact that every believer, listen, every believer has the Spirit, okay? Every believer has the, the Holy Spirit of God living within them. Okay, we already read verse one. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Go to verse two and three. Verse number one again, now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, and you were carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. The word dumb there uh, is not like we would use it in our vernacular. All right, we, wouldn't use, we would use the word dumb maybe as an insult. And Paul is kind of using it as an insult here. But the word dumb simply means mute, cannot speak. They, they, can't, they can't have a conversation. The idol is nothing. That's what, that's what he's saying. Verse number three, wherefore... <clears throat> Here's what I want you to understand. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. What is Paul doing? Well, as Paul starts, he's trying to draw their attention 
to two things. Number one, I want you Gentiles, I want you to remember who you were. Okay, remember who you were. You were lost without the Lord. You were, you were worshiping you were worshiping a dumb idol. You were worshiping something that could not have a relationship with you, that was not alive, that could not converse with you. You were worshiping, listen, you were worshiping something that left your life empty. Okay, we need to remember that. You're worshiping something that left your life empty. But now, now you have the Lord in your life. And one of two things is gonna happen. Either A, you really know the Lord and have the Holy Spirit, or B, you don't know the Lord and don't have the Holy Spirit. Because no man who knows the Lord, who has the Holy Spirit, is going to call Jesus accursed. What does that mean? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? The job of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ. So in the believer's life, when someone truly is saved, uh, they, may, they may go through a season, we all, we've all done this, you go through a season maybe of, of backsliding and being away from the Lord, but here's what Paul is getting at. He's getting at this simple truth that you need to know that your new life in Christ brings the Holy Spirit of God to indwell you. And you're not going to go back to the place where you're gonna say Jesus is accursed and I worship idols. No, 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 it's by the Holy Spirit of God that you can say Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the implication in this, the implication is that they were trying to, uh, simply trying to make their new life in Christ an upgrade of their previous life. Here's what the Corinthians were doing. They were thinking that Christianity was just an upgraded or a 2.0 version of their previous life. Now, Pastor Dennis, why do you say that? Context matters, right? Remember that? Say it with me. Context matters. Ready? It all, you say, Pastor, we repeat that a lot. It matters. It matters. You get the big picture when you understand context. The church at Corinth, what was their number one problem? pride. Their number one problem at the heart was pride. It was, they were making the Christian life all about them. Lord's table, you're making it all about you. Meats offered gray areas, you're making it all about you. Schisms within the church, division, you're making it all about you. This is what Paul is writing to them right now. Spiritual gifts, you're making it all about you. Hey, listen, you need to know that when you got saved, it no longer is about you. It doesn't become uh, uh, Christianity 2.0. It's not an upgrade. It's not still living my old life where in Corinth, everything was about them, wasn't it? Man, in Corinth, the mind was driven by pride. The heart was driven by pride. And here's what he writes to them, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is now in your life. Once you receive Christ, Paul would write this later to them in 1st, 2nd Corinthians, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are made what? Man, all things are made new. Paul is hinting at, he's getting at the same thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses one through three. Basically, he's trying to help them understand this, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will always cause the believer to honor Jesus Christ. It's no longer about honoring you. It's no longer about your pride. No, listen, once you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves into you. 
Now, this is a principle that Paul has already written to them about, but I want us, just for the sake of today, to be reminded. The Bible clearly teaches, the Bible clearly teaches that when a person, the moment a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. It doesn't, listen, it does not happen in sequences, It's not salvation in sequence. Does that make sense? Where you have to have salvation part A and salvation part B and then salvation part C and D. And once you get A, B, C, and D, then you're fully saved. No, 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 no. Listen, the moment that you humbled your heart and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God moved into your life. And isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? God moved into your life. As a matter of fact, Paul would write it this way to the believers at Rome. In in Romans chapter 8, the last part of verse number 9, he says, Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, hey, if if God's not living in you, then you're not saved. So it's not part A, part B, part C, and part D. All right, now I'm not trying to blast maybe some some teachings that maybe you've heard. We're always just gonna come back to scripture and we can back it up in multiple places that once you get saved, Jesus Christ moves into you. Man, I'm so glad today. I'm so glad. We're gonna talk about it even more tonight. I'm so thankful for the presence of God in my life. I'll say it again tonight. I do not know how people go through this life without Jesus in them. Listen, I just don't know. I've sat by the bedside of people dying with Christ, and I've sat by the, people, the bedside of people dying without Christ, and I will tell you, there is a vast difference. There is a vast difference with a family who is walking with the Lord and knows God who loses a loved one, and the family who doesn't know God and walks through that same loss. Listen, there is a vast difference with the presence of God, and this is what Paul is trying to write to them. Once you get saved, man, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Man, what a miracle. What a blessing. Don't ever get over the fact that every single believer has the Holy Spirit. Point number two, every believer not only has the Holy Spirit, but every believer is gifted. Every believer is gifted. Let's read, look at verse number four. Now, there are diversities of gifts. There's different gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another word of, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to, others, uh, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all, look at, look at verse uh, number uh, 11, but all these worketh, that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I say, Pastor, what does that mean? As you look at these few verses, I want you to notice a few key thoughts. Number one, you'll notice the words, every man, every man. Now, we need to know that in this specific case, this is not talking specifically about the gender of men. It's talking about every human being, every mankind. 
what's being said through this. We're not gonna go and I, just this morning, stay with me because we can't dive into every verse and dissect it or we will be here till six o'clock tonight and just go right into the pies. And we don't have pies here, so we can't do that. So it says every man throughout the passage to point out this, every man, every believer has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. That's what verse number 11 really culminates to. The fact that every single believer, if you look at verse number 11 on chapter 12, it says, but all all these gifts, they work, but they're empowered by the self-same spirit. The same spirit is behind them. But what's the point? Every man, every single person is gifted. Once you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit living in your life, you need to know that the Holy Spirit then gives you a spiritual gift. Okay, pastor, you keep using that word. What is a spiritual gift? What do you mean a spiritual gift? I don't have it on the screen, but let me give you a a good working definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a divine or supernatural enablement given to us at salvation for the express purposes of glorifying God and serving others. I'm gonna read it again. A spiritual gift is a divine and a divine or supernatural enablement given to us at salvation for the express purpose, purposes of glorifying God and serving others. And the spiritual gift is to be employed or used specifically through the local church. Okay, that's all key here. We're gonna see this today. Listen, I have learned so much this week. I, I honestly, I think next year, we're gonna do a series just on spiritual gifts. That's how, that's how much I'm loving these three chapters. But here, I'll give it to you again. A divine or supernatural enablement given to us at salvation for the express purposes of glorifying God and serving others to be employed specifically through his local church. A spiritual gift is a supernatural enabling by the Holy Spirit of God to do something to serve God. Now, the believers at Corinth, they were extremely gifted. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number one, it says that they came behind in no gift. Paul wrote to them and he is like, man, listen, when it comes to spiritual gifts, like you guys, you have it all. And he wasn't talking about natural talent. I'll be honest with you today. Uh, <clears throat> Brian, I'm sorry to say this, but music, to be able to play an instrument, to be able to sing a song, that is either natural or learned talent. It's not a spiritual gift. Okay, and again, I'm not trying to step on our musicians to all of them are like, man, that's it, I'm not singing anymore. No, 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 it's not a spirit. I, I sing, I love to sing, but God did not enable me with the spiritual gift of singing. It was something that from five years old, I worked on singing and went through with special choirs and special teachers and learning how to sing. Danny, there is some hope for people. I'm just saying. But, but here's what I'm getting at. Paul didn't write to them, hey, you are a naturally talented church. Okay, because talent can, talents can be learned, can't they? Spiritual gifts, while they can be grown, spiritual gifts are something given by God. 
While they can be sought, and while I believe, and I'll show you at the end, while I believe spiritual gifts can even be developed, we need to understand that every single person, once you got saved, you were given at least, at least one spiritual gift. One key thing that God gave to you to use in the local church. So every man, it's for every believer. But I want you to notice also the phrase that there were different gifts. All gifts are not the same. We read in, the, in the, the verses we just read a moment ago, a number of different gifts referred to. As a matter of fact, there are various gifts named in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and Romans chapter 12. When you combine the lists of spiritual gifts, you actually find that there's about 20 spiritual gifts listed in Scripture. There's about 20 specific spiritual gifts listed in Scripture. But we can divide spiritual gifts up to three categories, okay? We can divide it into three categories. You still with me today? We're gonna kind of do a lot of teaching this morning and then I'll get to the preachy part right at the end, all right? <clears throat> so when I get to really hooping, then you're no. All right, I can start closing my Bible. Pastor's almost done. No, you can divide spiritual gifts into three categories, okay? Number one, there are speaking gifts, okay? There are speaking gifts. What, what is a speaking gift? Give you some definitions, a speaking gift is something that you would use using words, using words to speak highly about God or to encourage others in God. Okay, there's gonna be a key in this. It's always gonna go back to God, okay? All the gifts point to God. Speaking gifts, they're using words to speak about God, pointing to him, or to speak to others about him, pointing to him. Um, what would speaking gifts be? Preaching. All right, the spiritual gift of preaching. Um, or biblical term is prophecy. Now there's two types of prophecy. Everybody still with me? Yeah. Today you just got to stay dialed in, shaking your head, all right? Just pretend. Even if you're falling asleep, just make sure you're nodding a little bit. Okay, that'll help me. Prophecy in the Bible, there's two different types of prophecy. There's foretelling, that means to predict future events, or there is forthtelling. That means to proclaim boldly. Foretelling, prophecy foretelling is done away. Amen. Okay, when the canonized, canonized scripture came together, prophecy of foretelling was done away. There is nobody, there is nobody, I'll say it again, there is nobody that can predict the future. Amen. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong-o. You can't predict it, okay? But prophecy of foretelling still exists. What is that? That's preaching, all right? Uh, one, of my, one of my spiritual gifts that I believe God has given to me is the, the, the gift of preaching. I'm not saying that because I'm good at it. I'm saying because I love it. I, lo I love to preach. I love to foretell, to proclaim truth from the word of God in, in, to people, all right, so that's a gift, a speaking gift. What else is a speaking gift? I'm taking too long. Uh, the gift of teaching. Teaching would be to make clear the truths of the word of God. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe that when, when I was gifted, that I was gifted with the spiritual gift of teaching, okay? There's a difference between preaching and teaching. Have I grown in teaching? Yes, I've had to. But my father, my dad, he, was, he had the spiritual gift of teaching. 
My dad could open anything up. Those of you that ever sat in his class, he could open something up and he could read one verse and bring the application from it. And you, you leave going, man, that was, I learned so much today. But my dad would say he didn't have the spiritual gift of preaching. Forth telling. He would say that. He'd say, I, didn't, I'm, I don't want to get up and be the bold guy. It's like, son, you do that. I'll do the teaching. You do the preaching. You know, we'll just kind of stay together and tag team. What are they? Spiritual speaking gifts. What else would one be? Uh, the gift of exhortation, encouraging people. The gift of words of wisdom. Uh, this is knowing how to counsel people. The words of knowledge, knowing how to apply counsel. And we're not going to really get into those. Those are just uh, maybe some uh, um, brief brief descriptions of those. But you can know that you have the gift of speaking or a speaking gift when you are energized to speak the word of God somewhere. It might be in a one-on-one setting of discipleship. It might be, I love speaking and encouraging people. I love writing notes of encouragement. Hey, that might be your spiritual gift to use within the church. So speaking gifts. Secondly, service gifts. All right, we're dividing gifts up into three areas. Speaking gifts, service gifts. What are those? Those are gifts that God gives us where we serve others but not necessarily by speaking to people. Uh, The gifts such as ruling or administration. Um, This is something that you're gifted in in organization. You like to organize and lead. Maybe it's the gift of serving. (laughs) What do you do? You like to serve behind the scenes. You're the person who, pastor, don't ever put me up in front of people. I don't like doing that. Uh, just put me behind the scenes and I'm good. I'll stack chairs, I'll roll tables, man, I'll, I'll even, I'll, I'll, I'll cook pies. I can't even cook, but I'll try. Just put me behind the scenes. Don't put me in front of people. You might be, have, have a serving gift. Maybe the gift of mercy. Mercy is a, a spiritual gift of, uh, of empathizing with people and walking through trials with people, not necessarily in front of them, but just beside them. Uh, the gift of helps or the gift of giving, uh, the gift of faith that we'll uh, talk about in weeks to come. So those are all service gifts. Then the third category would be what we would call sign gifts, sign gifts. Now, there is a sense, and we'll talk about this at the very end of the message, that every, belief, every gift is a sign gift. What do you mean, Pastor? A sign gift is simply something that points somewhere else. Well, every gift is to be a sign gift. What do you mean? Every spiritual gift that we do, preaching, teaching, uh, serving, helps, giving, all of that, it's all supposed to point to the Lord, Okay? But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. When we talk about sign gifts, we're talking specifically about spiritual gifts that were given for the express purpose of authenticating the message of the new Savior. Okay? We call these gifts sign gifts. What would be sign gifts? Three in particular. The gift of miracles. The gift of miracles. The gift of miracles was in the early church. It was a sign to authenticate the emerging word of God. Uh, As the word of God began to be compiled and canonized, we find that God gave gifts to validate the messages that were being preached. Um, Think about Jesus, okay? The purpose of the miracles of Christ were to authenticate his message. Think about this. Jesus didn't do miracles to satisfy a permanent need. Well, what do you mean, pastor? Pastor. Uh, every, everybody that Jesus healed, they're dead. Right now, they're dead. 
everyone. Lazarus, he miraculously rose him from the dead. You know what Lazarus is right now? He's dead. Did you know that every person that Jesus like gave sight to, their eyes are now dust. Everybody that Jesus fed, the next day, you know what they needed? More food. The miracles in and of themselves, they were not, they were not the end result that Jesus, hey, I'm doing this miracle just so I can feed you and that's what I'm trying to do. No, 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 no. Jesus did miracles to validate what he was preaching, right? That's what he did. He did it to validate. And then the disciples, when Jesus left, that, that uh, the gift of miracles was given to the apostles to continue validating the message that they were preaching. But I'll tell you this, I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. The gift of miracles has ceased. It's gone. Well, why? Because we don't need the gift of miracles to validate what we believe. Think about this. If you're going to witness to a coworker, you don't walk up to them and say, hey, I'm going to turn this loaf of bread. I'm going to turn it into 12 loaves. You ready? You could do that all day long. And your coworker's going to be like, why are you doing that? Because I'm trying to help you see Jesus. It's not going to work. Now, if you're going to try to witness to a coworker, you know what you're going to do? You're going to try to get them to understand this is the word of God. Why? Because this validates, proves the message of Jesus, right? We don't need the gift of miracles. Why? We have completed scripture, the canon of scripture. What's another gift? Gift of healing, okay? About to really be, I'm about to really be mean to some people. There are no faith healers in this world. If there were, why aren't they at the cancer centers? Why aren't they at the hospitals? Why do they have to have pre-screenings of their guests coming? Listen, it's because they're not real. The gift of healing was done as a sign gift so that the, again, the message was validated. Acts chapter number three, Acts chapter three. Peter says to the lame beggar, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Hey, later they would say, take up your bed and walk. Paul would perform miracles. Why would they do those miracles of healing? Why would they do that? To validate in the name of Jesus. Hey, Jesus is real and I'm gonna perform a healing miracle so that you can believe in him. We don't need that today. Does that mean God doesn't heal? No, that's not what it means. Is God still in the power of, does God still heal people? Yes. He just doesn't use this guy to lay hands on somebody and heal them. Now, does that mean God doesn't maybe give some, uh, um, um, you go to, oh man, I can't do this. Yeah, we're doing it. You go to James chapter number five and it says to anoint people when they're sick to pray and anoint and lay hands upon them. Uh, does God do that and heal somebody? Sometimes. Sometimes God uses the prayer of faith to help heal people. But it's not through a person. Does that make sense? Like I can't be like, well, there was this one time. Because honestly, there was one time. 
There was one time when we were in Lakewood that my dad anointed some, some uh, people with oil, one of them being my mom, going through some really extreme sicknesses. And there were some men that came up and prayed and, and did, went through the whole thing in James 5. And, and those people, you know, I, I think, I know my mom, she got healed. At least I think so. Are you still, you doing all right? <laughs> uh, she, she got healed. So I could have left that and been like, yeah. <sighs> I got the gift of healing. I couldn't do that because there's other times, and I'm not trying to be sad today, but there's other times like with Sam Stewart. Sam Stewart's going through cancer and it was progressing super quickly. And uh, Brother Mike, I think you were with me and, and some others that, man, we went over on, a, on an afternoon and we took some oil and we anointed Brother Sam and we prayed over him and we, we asked God to heal him. Unfortunately, Brother Sam was with the Lord two months later. So if I really had the gift of healing, it would have worked. Understand? That gift is not there to validate the message anymore. We have the word of God, okay? What are we talking about? Category three, gifts can be categorized into three things. Speaking gifts, serving gifts, sign gifts. You still with me? Say amen. amen. Third sign gift, third sign gift. And this one is the most touchy, okay? People want to argue over this. Here's what pastor's gonna do today. I'm not gonna argue with you about this. Okay, I'm gonna show you from study what I believe about, about the word of God. And if you have questions afterwards, come to me. I would love, I would love to sit down if you're confused on this. The third sign gift that I believe is gone is the gift of tongues. Okay, the gift of tongues. Now, you say, pastor, why do you say that? What was the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues was also an authenticator for those who had received, those who had received the Holy Spirit were given the gift of tongues to validate, again, to validate what they were preaching. When does this happen? This happens, at first, it happens in Acts chapter number two. It happens in Acts chapter number eight. It happens in Acts chapter number 10. Those are specific ones. Acts two with all of the Jewish believers. Acts eight with the Samaritans, the the half-breed, if you will, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And then Acts 8, Cornelius, or Acts 10, excuse me, Cornelius, who was fully Gentile. What happened in all three of those instances? All three of those instances, the Holy Spirit filled people, and those people began to speak in different languages. And you can mark it down. They were not babbling languages. They were languages that could be interpreted and could be understood by somebody who was present. Somebody who was present in all three cases understood the language that they were giving. It happened to the Jews in Acts 2 to validate. Remember, this is why it happened. Jesus said to them, I go away. If I don't go, the comforter cannot come unto you, but I'm going to go. And when I go, you're gonna pray, you're gonna be together, and then the Holy Spirit is gonna come to you so that you know validation that I am with you. What happens in Acts chapter number one? Jesus leaves. The apostles, they gather together. Acts chapter number two, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse number four of Acts two, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, listen, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, one key word in there is the Greek word utterance. The Greek word right there, you can see it underneath that. Here's what it means. Substantial and weighty, a substantial and weighty saying worthy to be had in remembrance. Well, what does that mean? 
What happened is simply there wasn't a lot of babbling going on. There were words being spoken that could be understood by somebody. Hence, Peter, Acts chapter number two, says the people are like, wow, they're all drunk. Look at these guys, they're all drunk. And Peter gets up and he says, hey, it's only the third hour. What are you talking about? They're drunk. They're not drunk at noon. They're not drunk at at nine in the morning. What are you talking about? Listen, here's what's going on. You need to know that these men, they speak with tongues that you can understand because, and then he gives them the gospel. And what happens? God uses the gift of tongues to do what? Point to the savior. It wasn't about, a person, it was about the Prince of Peace. It was about Jesus Christ. Does that make sense this morning? So here's what's happened. Well, in Acts chapter eight, it happens again with the Samaritans so that the Jews would believe the Samaritans could get saved. In Acts chapter 10, it happened with the Gentiles. And remember what took place? Uh, Peter was like telling everybody, like, listen, they really got saved. And, they, and all the other Jews are like, no, they didn't. Gentiles can't get saved. And Peter's like, it was validated. Well, Peter, how was it validated? They began to speak with the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues. Oh, oh, okay, we believe it then. Like that's all it took because they all knew this was a validation. Does that make sense? So here's what happens. These are all sign gifts. They're all different gifts. And they're gifts that are doing something. They are pointing to something or someone other than the gift, Okay, but if the gift is being used to point to the person using the gift, do you know what someone's doing? They're playing with a toy rather than a tool. I wish this really had a battery. Then I just hold it. It's like pull the trigger a bunch to get it to go. Dollar tree. Excuse me, buck and a quarter tree. That's its new name. Here's what they were doing. They were under the, the, the church of Corinth. They were going through this and they were using their gifts for self-promotion rather than savior proclamation. They were using the gift to edify themselves rather than the Lord. All right, so you say, pastor, we're still on the second point. We're gonna be here forever. Yes, that's okay. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer is gifted. Remember the phrases, every man, different gifts, but notice also it uses this different same. Did you see that going through there when we read that verse 10, 15 minutes ago? It says different same, diversity of gifts, same Lord, differences of administrations, same God. Here's what Paul is getting at to them. Hey, even though, even though your gifts are different, they're all enabled by the same spirit. Go back to verse number one. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. So here's what we need to know and understand. Every believer has the Holy Spirit and every believer has been gifted. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? You know what God does? God is not like me and you at Christmas. God is like my dad at Christmas. Well, pastor, what do you mean? Christmas gift giving. How many of you would say you're a good Christmas gift giver? Well, good, good. All right, four of you. Would you make sure I'm on your list this year? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am, I am a, a Christmas gift giver, and I love giving Christmas gifts, but we give, different, we give differently than people did, you know, 50 years ago. Because that's how my dad always gave. What do you mean, Pastor? My dad, even up until last year's Christmas, my dad always gives practical Christmas gifts. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Roland. 
He doesn't give, he does, my dad didn't give just whim Christmas gifts. My dad gives practical Christmas gifts. So like my dad would have no problem buying my mom an iron for Christmas. None, none, would he? None whatsoever. And she'd open up and be like, an iron? He'd be like, yeah, the old one's going out. I figured, I mean, we could use that. Okay. I cannot tell you how many times my dad bought clothespins for my mom because she'd still wash and hang laundry. I cannot tell you how often my dad would buy my sister's in their stocking would come just dozens and dozens and dozens of hair ties. That, like that was her Christmas gift. You know what I would get? Like socks and underwear. Thank you. How'd you know? Listen, if you're, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, this just, just throw this, throw this out today. Roland, was that you? Oh my goodness. I'm gonna throw this out today. Uh, underwear giving during Christmas, that just really pops a kid's bubble. That's all I'm saying. Like you're the, or sweater giving. Like I know that you make sweaters and you really like to give them, but I ain't ever wearing that. Right, the five-year-old that opened, you all did it, you know, you know, because your grandma gave you a sweater and you opened it up and you're like, <laughs> And next year, it was in the White Elephant Gift Exchange. And it's been going around for 35 years since then at the Family Gift Exchange, you know? And it's like shrunken and moth-eaten and still some. And grandma's like, I made that for you. Well, why? Gift giving was different. Practical gift giving. Can I tell you this today? God gives practical gifts. What's that mean? What God gifted you with, he gave it to you for a purpose. God didn't just give you a gift of speaking on a whim. Oh, maybe they'll use this. Maybe they won't. It's okay. It's in Who cares? No, God said, I'm giving you this. And God gives practical gifts to be used to glorify him and to serve other people. And we're going to see it this morning. And I'm going to close in, in a few minutes with this thought that your spiritual gift is given for a twofold purpose. Your spiritual gift is given to exalt God and to edify the church, Amen. to exalt Christ, and to edify believers. That's, that's why you and I are gifted. So every believer has the spirit. Every believer is gifted. Third, and very quickly, every believer is important. Hey, every single person within the local church, every believer is important. Go to verse number 12. Let's read it quickly. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, they are one body. So also is Christ, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be, we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not, uh, not of the body, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. It is, there, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were, were, were hearing, where were the smelling? But, but now God, God set the members, every one of them in the body. He placed them there as it pleased him to please him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body? 
The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary and those members of the body uh, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness for our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered. He had put the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. You know what Paul is simply writing in here? He's writing God took the members, body parts, and he put it together. What's the purpose? To please him. It's important. You are important. Listen, you are important to the Lord and we should be important to each other. Did you know that the body needs to be different if it's to be healthy? Think about this. God put the body, the church together and every single individual is important. And the body, it needs to be different if it's going to be healthy. No member should compare or contrast themselves with other members. Why? Because everyone is different and yet everyone is important. Listen, I could learn to walk on my hands. I could do that. But my feet, these boots were made for, I'm not wearing boots, but still, Hey, these feet were made for walking. So how funny would it be if I came in just walking on my hands? Pastor, like, and I'm wearing shoes on my hands. That's not what it's made for. If Listen, if I, as a physical person, if I'm going to be healthy, every part matters. Different parts matter. Notice the second thought here. Diversity in the body is an evidence of the wisdom of God. Oh, I love this. Did you know that one of the smallest cells that make up you as a human being, one of the smallest cells is actually sound waves? Did you know that? One of the smallest cells that makes up all of creation is sound waves. It reminds me of Genesis chapter one where he spoke the world into existence. You ever taken a biology class and, man, learn about blood or learn about DNA, learn about a human hair? And you see those microscopic, microscopic images of things. And I don't know about you, but when I see that stuff, I'm blown away. I'm like, wow, God did that. Here's what Paul's saying about the church. Wow, God did this. It just points to an omniscient, wise God. Diversity in the body is evidence of the wisdom of God, but also the body must be different in order to function properly. In a healthy human body, the various members cooperate with each other and they even compensate for each other when a crisis occurs. He goes in there and he says, what would happen if your hand was like, I hate you foot. Like, I don't want you anymore. Cut the foot off. The foot wouldn't be able to, like the body wouldn't be functioning properly. Why? Because all the parts are important. That's what Paul is getting at through this entire thing is every part of the body is important. But here's what the believers at Corinth were doing, and don't miss this. Here's what they were doing. They, remember, they prized themselves. 
They, proud, they, they, they prized themselves in their own pride, in their own accomplishments. And remember Corinth? What was Corinth known for in that day? Corinth was known for rhetoric. Corinth was known for debate. So here's what was happening in the believers at Corinth. Remember those speaking gifts, the gifts that were really seen kind of on display? Believers at Corinth were like, wow, I, I wish I had a speaking gift because then I could be on display. I wish I was a teacher. I wish I was the preacher. I wish I, was, I, wish I could be seen of men because remember, Corinth, you could go into Corinth, and if you were a good debater, you were seen as very good. What they had done is they had taken that philosophy, they had adopted it into the church, and now it was this. If you're a good orator, if you're a good speaker, if you're a gifted speaker, wow, you're godly. Wow, you're godly. Can I tell you right now, I, I, and I'm, I'm preaching as the pastor, and I will tell you this. Not every person that can boldly proclaim the word of God lives it. I grew up in ministry. I grew up with my dad as a pastor, and I grew up around a lot of pastors, and I could take you right now to listen, and I'm not trying to degrade the office of pastor. I'm simply pointing out this thought. I could take you to dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of young people my age who were not even in church that grew up in a pastor's home, and they said, my dad preached it, but never lived it. My dad said one thing on the pulpit, but lived totally different during the week. And I could take you to dozens of broken homes and broken marriages and pastors who were, who are, who were in ministry that are now way off the deep end. Hey, just be, I'll just say it this way. Giftedness is not godliness. Amen. Do you know what this pastor needs to do every day to be godly? I need to wake up and spend time in the word of God and humble my heart and seek him and say, God, I cannot do this. I can't lead people. I can't properly preach. I can't effectively help. God, I can't do this. I need you just like you need that for your gift. And just because you may be gifted in speaking or serving behind the scenes, here's what the believers at Corinth were doing. They were saying, wow, look at that guy. He can really, uh, as Brother Blim used to say, he can really shuck the corn. Wow, that guy, he can really, he can really preach. Preach it up. Wow, that person, they're really, really good. But they are just because you can do something in the church well doesn't mean you are godly. And this is what Paul is getting at. Every single member is important. And yet, Corinth, you are sitting over here arguing over who's better because of your spiritual gift. Hey, you know what you're doing? You're acting like a kid with a toy. Mine, mine, mine. I'm better than you. You're a kid with a toy rather than a Christian with a tool. Here's what Paul is getting at. Every single believer is important. All right, pastor, what's all this mean? Here's the last point where we're going today. and we'll, we'll land the plane. It might take, it might, we might have to circle a few times, but we're coming in. <laughs> There's some turbulence down low. We got to stay up high for a few more minutes. <clears throat> Sorry. So here's our thoughts. The believer has the spirit. The believer, every believer is gifted. Every believer is important. But don't miss the last point today. Every believer is responsible. Every believer is responsible. Hey, God gave you spiritual gifts with purpose in mind. And I'll just say it this way this morning, that the purposes and the gifts that God gave us with those purposes can be boiled down to what I said a second ago, a twofold purpose. What is the purpose of my giftedness and your giftedness 
from Christ. Exalt Jesus, exalt Christ, and edify or encourage the church. Knowing what gift you have and how to use it for the purpose of edifying the church and glorifying God is vitally important. Here's where we see this in the entire passage. Verse number seven, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. It's given so that everybody can profit from it. Now skip down, if you would, to verse number 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And with it now, you, ye, are the, you're the body of Christ. Hey, you are the local body of Christ. You're the local brought together group of believers, and, and, but your members in particular. And here's what God did. God hath set some in the church. First, the apostles. Okay, Paul wrote about it, that the apostles, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the apostles are the foundation stones of the church. Okay, there are no living apostles today. Whole nother message in and of itself. Anybody greets you and says, well, I'm apostle so-and-so. You can look at them and think, no, you're not. You might not say it verbally to them. I mean, I have, but anyway, <clears throat> there are no apostles, okay? So he said, he said first apostles, but then secondarily prophets. Now the prophets referring to here, forth tellers. And then teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, government, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Uh, we can't read it in the Greek, but... In the terminology, this verse in the Greek means it's a, it's a question that needs to be answered, but you know the answer. It's a rhetorical question that you already know the answer to. Well, what are the questions? Is everybody at the church an apostle? No. Is everybody prophet? Is everybody a teacher? Are all workers? Or excuse me, workers of miracles? Yeah, all workers. Danny was like, uh, wait. Uh, are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But covet the best gifts. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Here's what Paul is getting at in these verses. He's getting at the fact that no, listen, no individual believer possesses all the spiritual gifts. I'll say it this way. Every believer is not gifted with everything, but every believer is gifted with something. Every believer is not gifted with everything. Hey, you don't have all of the spiritual gifts, but you do have a spiritual gift, maybe even two. And every believer is not gifted with everything, but every believer is gifted with something. So what do you do? Use what you have for God. That's what Paul is getting at. And I wish, I wish I could belabor this, but here's what he's helping them understand. Hey, use your gifts, use your gifts to exalt Christ and to edify the church. Hey, if you are given the gift of encouragement, figure out how can I plug in and be a part of the local church to encourage other believers so that my life might exalt Christ. Hey, if you like teaching, listen, figure out how can I, how can I dial in and get plugged in so that I can use my gift of teaching to encourage somebody and disciple somebody in the Lord. Okay, maybe I'm not up preaching and teaching, 
teaching every week, but there is no difference in the fact of how you use your, or there, there are differences in how you use your gift. There's differences in gifts, but it is the same Lord. It is the same Lord that empowers us to use our gift, to exalt him and to edify the church. First Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13 and chapter 14 is simply this. Quit using your gift like a child playing with a toy and start using your gift as a Christian with a tool. You say, well, pastor, what am I gifted in? What am I gifted in? In all honesty, they have all these spiritual gifts tests and they have all these things. And you, you, if you want to, I can give you one. You can sit down, you can take it. But I could sit down and take the spiritual gift test and it tells me I'm gifted in everything because I just know what answers to put. No one's ever honest on those things. You know, it's like on a scale of one to 10, you know, how clean is your room? You're like, well, in my mind, it's a 10. That's the type of question is this. You want to know one of the best ways, one of the best ways to find out what your spiritual gift is? Number one is pray. God help me. Number two is figure out what you like to do. Because I personally believe that God puts our spiritual gift as part of our character. I know that preaching is one of my spiritual gifts. Why? It energizes me. I love, I love taking the word of God and boldly just giving it to people. I love it. I know that one of my other spiritual gifts is the gift of administration. I love to sit down and organize things and just move forward. My dad was the gift of teaching and the gift of mercy. Um, my dad was merciful to a fault. Not on me as a kid, but on other people. <laughs> You know what? Find what you like to do. Find what you like to do. Figure out how does this, you know, like, does it, is this a spiritual gift? Now, if it's music, again, that's not a spiritual gift. But those people who are in music, you know what many people who are involved in music have? They have a, the gift of helps. What is that? It's, it's an accompaniment. It's, it's actually really cool. The gift of helps, it's like a harmony part on the melody line. There's the melody, what you sing, and then there's the harmonies that come in and they fill it in. That's what the gift of helps is. A lot of people in music have that gift of helps. A lot of our, a lot of our behind the scenes people, they're the gift of service. You say, pastor, why are you saying all of this? Because God gave you a gift and you are responsible to use it to exalt Christ and to edify the church. Hey, God gave you a gift. He gave you a gift. Use it for him to glorify him and to build up other people. God didn't give you a gift solely for yourself. It's something not that you should open and use for you. He gave you a gift to open and to use for him. It says that in verse number seven, the manifestation of the spirit. That word manifestation, it means the exhibition or the demonstration of the spirit. The demonstration of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit that was given to you is to profit everybody. Not just you. It's to help everybody. And I close with this, but here's what Paul wrote, and we'll go to it more next week. But covet earnestly. Covet earnestly the best gifts. You know what that means? <clears throat> As a believer grows in the Lord, pretty soon you're not going to be able to tell what their spiritual gift really was. You say, why? Why? because they grow in all of them. They just grow in all of them. 
I know my dad was gifted in the gift of teaching and mercy, but honestly, my dad passing away at 72 years old, if you, if you only knew my dad for, for a couple years, maybe you'd see through that, but you'd go, well, I thought he was a servant because he always wanted to do stuff. And I thought he could administrate because, actually, no, that one you probably wouldn't. But uh, you'd, you'd go to these gifts and you'd say, you know what? He developed in them. As a person grows in the Lord, they can grow in giftedness. It may not be that one that was put in you by God, but you can develop the ability to move forward. Why? Because it's all about him. But then that last part, and I close with this, and we go to it next week. Paul says, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. You know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is? It's the love chapter. You know what Paul gets at? Paul gets at this. Hey, regardless of what your gift is, every believer can love. Every believer can love. No matter what your gift is, love always triumphs. It always trumps giftedness. It always trumps giftedness. This morning, the church at Corinth, the members, they were grieving the Holy Spirit of God because they were carnal in their giftedness. They were using it for pride. They were using it as, as uh, tools, as, excuse me, as toys rather than valuable tools. And I just wanna say to our believers today, you have been gifted. You've been gifted by God. So here's my question. Are you using your life and your gifts to exalt Christ and to edify his church? Hey, are you plugged in? Are you dialed in and saying, man, I wanna be a part. I'm a, I can teach. I wanna help teach. I can serve. I wanna help serve. I wanna be a part of this. Why? Because God gave it to me and I wanna use it for him. Employing your gift within the local church to edify the body, with all, to profit with all. This is what God said. I gave you that gift so that you could look to Jesus and so that you could point others to Jesus. Are you doing that? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.